Lindsay Grant. I'm Omar Moore. It is Sunday, May the 2nd, 2021. On this edition of The Politocrat, the CDC and its messaging right now and the importance of health. That and a few other items coming up next. For me, it happens, uh, you know, bi-weekly or something. I really want to ask you something. I've been asking. Uh, what is your name, Arsenio? Arsenio. What you... uh, a very unique name for a black yes. man. Yeah. What is it? It's actually a Greek word that means Leroy. And, uh, no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, it's, it's, a, it's a Greek god of strength. It means strong male or something like Seriously? that. Seriously? Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think uh, some I had a languages... feeling that it was Greek. I had a sense of... I thought to myself, it's got to be Greek. Now you're putting yeah. me on. It's no, really I'm absolutely great. not putting you on. Yeah, really? And, and my mother, I mean, my mother, you know, Bob, Mike... I think it's great, you know, your mother. Sydney. Look what my mother named me, Olympia. Yeah, Olympia, <laughs> yeah. Well, that... that was Olympia Dukakis with Arsenio Hall back in 1989. And I play that clip because yesterday... Olympia Dukakis passed away. She was an actor and uh, stage actor, film actor, television actor, and a really good, decent person, most importantly of all, and was also, among many other things, the cousin of former Democratic presidential candidate Mike Dukakis, Michael Dukakis, and Olympia Dukakis, who really had a great career playing a range of characters, many of them um, perhaps a few years ahead of where she is in life or she was in life. Um, someone who I think was a really good down-to-earth person. That's my impression of Olympia Dukakis. She also won an Academy Award for her role in Moonstruck, in the Best Supporting Actress category back in 1989, that same year, which she won for. And uh, yeah, she Dukakis was a really good, down-to-earth, charming, smart, really uh, introspective, um, charismatic, as, as I've alluded to. She's, she's a decent person. She was a decent person. And... Um, Grew up from very humble beginnings. And she passed away yesterday at the age of 89. Olympia Dukakis. So I, I, you know, certainly am sad to hear of her passing. And may she rest in power. Olympia Dukakis, who has passed at the age of 89. Captain and Neil, and you know, I do like to play that every now and again. I think it's the second time in the last three weeks that I've done that here on the Politocrat Daily Podcast. Love will keep us together. Captain and Neil. Actually written initially by 
originally written, what was written by Neil Sedaka. I didn't know that actually. Um, but I remember the song way back when, and it's always great to hear it. And some people think that uh, Captain and Tinniel were corny, but I didn't. I really loved them back in the day. And it's just that song and others I, I really enjoy. So there you go. Love will keep us together. But it's not just because uh, I enjoy that on a very selfish level that I play that. It's also because it's going to be part of a feature that I am going to do as often as I can do here on this podcast. And thank you very much for listening to this particular edition of it. And your time is really greatly appreciated by yours truly, Omar Moore. So thank you very much for um, listening. This new feature that I am starting on this episode um, is going to be something I can try to do, as I said, as much as I can. Uh, These good stories, uh, good stories of the day, um, and in this case, a love story to begin the podcast episode before getting into some news and then getting into the main event. Um, the good story and the good news is a story that I came across in the New York Times. My goodness, the New York Times now um, seems to be getting some... <laughs> I, I mean, I'm getting these stories here and some of these are quite good stories. Positive stories. And I think that... It's good to have at least one of them on an episode of this podcast because there are good things going on in this world. I sometimes talk about those good things. Uh, A lot of the times I talk about the things that aren't going well in this world because those are things we need to fix. So pardon me for doing that. (laughs) It's important to talk about the things that are not good in the world so that we can make them better and fix them. And it's also similarly important to remind people that, and to remind ourselves that there are some positive things going on in the world. In fact, there's lots of positive things going on in the world. There's lots of things that are positive that are going on down the street from where you live, down the, on the farm away from where you live, on the next ranch over, if you will, or wherever you are on the planet. So it is good to do that and to remind people, because I'm going to talk about some things that aren't so pleasant or positive. Surprise, surprise. But I think it'd be a crime not to be talking about things that aren't pleasant. You know, there's plenty of podcasts that do, that talk only about things that are very peculiar and narrow. Peculiar meaning very narrow to um, some tastes and never talk about the real world around them. Never talk about what's going on. Never talk about the challenges. Never acknowledge the challenge, you know? And I'm sorry, I don't live in that world and nor do you and nor do they who do those kinds of podcasts. But on this one, you're going to get what's going on around you and there's going to be some challenging going on. Um, Me challenging you, me challenging me, you challenging me, we challenging us, challenging each other. That's how we grow. That's how we learn. That's how we educate. That's how we try to be better. Let's all be better together, right? I've got to be better. You've got to be better. We've got to be better. The world has to get better. And if we can get better and become better, as people together, 
or part in as this pandemic goes, of course, then I think the world stands a chance of becoming a better world. And as I've said many times, you can't have a better world without first bettering who you are as a person. I think that's next to impossible to do. You can't have a better world and want one and expect one if you yourself are not also trying to better the kind of person you are, the kind of caliber of a person that you are. And that work never finishes. That work is never done for any of us. So it doesn't matter how good or how decent as people we think we are individually. We still have to put in some level of work to do the kinds of things that make us even better people. Perhaps you are of the mind and the mindset that says, oh God, forget it. I'm way past a certain point in life to even care anymore. And I understand that. I understand, I truly do get that. And so your whole thing might be, I'm going to just let it all hang out. F this. I'm going to do this. And if people don't like it, I don't care. And there's a lot of people like that. And if, again, that's how you find the way through, that's how you do it. And you're entitled to that. No one's going to bash you here. I'm not going to be bashing you here about that. You have every right to do that. That could be your mindset. For me, while it's important to enjoy life, and I think we should to the extent that we are able to or that we are in the position to be able to, it is also important to want to look at yourself or at who you are as a person and want to keep pushing to be better. You know, it's not even a question of wanting to be a perfectionist, although I can certainly raise my hand and plead guilty to trying that. And it's a miserable thing to try to be because it just ends up making you feel more frustrated. So you can't do that because no one's perfect. So being a perfectionist um, or trying to be one or striving to be one is not what you should be. You should strive to be a better person. And I believe that. And I believe that for a long time. This ain't some kind of thing that I've just stumbled upon. But you've got to enjoy life. You have to. You have to. To the best of your ability. There are circumstances that may prevent you from doing that. Just a thought. Before I get to this good news segment that I want to do. And I came across this in the New York Times. This is from Alex Wall. Spelled A-L-I-X. Last name Wall. Same spelling as what you would expect from a wall. April the 30th, 2021. A really nice little story here in the New York Times. So this would have been from Friday, the last day of April, just last week. The headline title, Finding Love and All Its Quirks, Even If 2,654 Miles Away. Subtitle, Radical Honesty on Sarah Lynn's Dating Profile along with no geographical restrictions, led to Stephen Paskey road tripping for love. This is a really nice story. and it, it talks about, does Alex Wall's story, uh, 
this journey that's being made between these two people. Um, Sarah Lenz has a dating profile, an unheard dating profile. Miss Lenz had talked very honestly about who she is, who she, uh, her experiences with dating and marriage, open marriages, got really honest and open, which a lot of people don't do when they're talking to each other. Um, but on this particular dating app that she was on, she put all that out there and said, no restrictions, no restrictions. And the story gets really, uh, really fascinating. I wouldn't say, because interesting is, I think, pejorative sometimes, isn't it? When someone says to you, well, that's interesting. That's not necessarily that they really mean that they are actually interested. It means, in my view, that there's something weird or strange or negative. And that's not good. But I think that's what's going on when some people say that sometimes. Or maybe they just use that word because they haven't got a better word to say. <laughs> I don't know. The English language is infinite and also very frustrating. And it's one of the most inexact types of language in the world, English. It's a really troublesome language. And you may have been surprised to hear me say that, but it's true. There are other languages that are so much easier to comprehend in terms of the way the meanings of the words in them are derived. Spanish, I think sometimes, I think it's relatively easy, even though there's things in there that you have to look out for. But English, tenses and participles and, and all this other stuff, Good grief. But anyway, I digress. But this is the, I find this story fascinating. So on Sarah Lenz's dating profile, she put all this stuff on there. Um, she was living not far from here, by the way, in Santa Rosa, California, which is from San Francisco. It's about an hour and change north of a drive from here. So if you drive from San Francisco and, and go north on the 101, Highway 101, um, you probably, it's going to be just over an hour before you get to Santa Rosa, or roughly an hour or so. And so she was on this app, and, and she did this thing, and she, I guess, changed some of the settings on her uh, account to show the highest matches possible, regardless of geography, according to this story, and... Um, this particular particular person, this guy um, named Stephen Paskey, registered around a 99%. Ding, 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 ding. So that's what set this whole thing off. Well, among other things. And there's a three-year age difference between the two. Miss Lenz is 57. Mr. Paskey is 60. And just very interesting how this goes, and interesting in a good way. This is fascinating, actually, so I shouldn't use the word interesting. Fascinating. He was on the East Coast, she was on the West. I kind of get a flashback to Sleepless in Seattle. I know, that's kind of a really lazy reference. Everybody uses it. <laughs> so I used it too because I just couldn't bother to think of uh, a film like An Affair to Remember because An Affair to Remember is really freaking depressing. Even though it's a really great movie. Go and watch... An Affair to Remember, 1957, directed by Leo McKern. I think it's one of the few films he directed, or maybe one of the only ones he directed. It's one of the few, starring, oh my goodness me, this was Deborah Kerr and uh, Cary Grant. I actually think Cary Grant, that might, to me, be one of his best 
Well, I think that's one of his best performances. I don't rate him in films like North by Northwest. I, I actually liked him better in a film like this. It was just so, oh my goodness me. You know, Deborah Kerr was, by the way, outstanding in, in that movie. So that's a reference that, well, an affair to remember that is, bring some Kleenex with you. It's not that, it's not the most upbeat film. But it is about love and it is about what happens on the way to it or what doesn't happen. This New York Times story is not that predicament, though, because this is more like the Hollywood movie than An Affair to Remember is. Because not only is this one one that ends happily with Sarah Lenz, I'm cutting to the chase here, right? Sarah Lenz cutting to the end of the story. Um, Sarah Lenz and Stephen Paskey getting married. It, it's, it really is one of those fascinating, good stories. And in this case, technology actually bringing people together in a positive way. And when I say that, I mean that this dating app stuff, and I don't know if people have ever used that, it's a really good thing to learn that people are in love. It doesn't matter whether they use dating apps or not. It's a really good thing to see that people are finding love. And that's the thing I take. That's why I start with, well, not I didn't start the podcast with that, but I, I start with this segment in this sense that, hey, there's love. There is love amidst all of the stuff that I talk about here. There are people in love. People are living their lives. People are trying to be better selves. Some people are trying to be their better selves. Best self. Can you be your best self ever in life? Yeah, you probably could. But in the sense, when you say that, your best self means that you can't go any further. You can't go any better than that. And so I don't know, maybe you're perpetually searching. You know, you're perpetually searching for who you are, I think, as a person. Or, well, no, maybe not. You're perpetually trying to search for something in life itself or other things in life. Multi as a, 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 To the end of it, right? I mean, you're hopefully, if you're the p kind of person who is an adventuresome spirit, someone who believes in journeying through life, um, and trying to find things, trying to grow and learn things and educate and do this and be your better self and keep pushing that. It's like trying to, it's kind of like putting a football team out there and trying to get them to their best levels, fitness levels, because it could be something like that, any kind of self-improvement. And, and if you're that kind of individual, you're always pushing for that, aren't you? But this story is one of those. I really like that story. And that's why I wanted to start after the sad news of uh, Olympia Dukakis passing. I wanted to start with this after that because I just, I like that story. And there's other, I'm sure there's lots of stories like this around the globe that go on that we never hear about, certainly here in the West um, or wherever you listen to this. If you've got a good news story like this, let me know about it at this following email address, politocratpod at gmail.com. This was a really nice story of two people who 
were on opposite ends of the United States. East Coast, West Coast. And how many times has, has that failed in a relationship? Not just East Coast, West Coast. But if you have ever been in a long distance relationship, dear listener, and you are in one country and the person you're having the long distance relationship with is in another country. How often has that kind of thing worked? Not a whole heck of a lot. Sometimes it has worked to great effect. I actually know um, a couple of people who are continuing success in a not long distance. I'm talking multiple country, dual country relationship. And they make it work. And I think that's really good. I, you know, I, those kinds of stories really make me happy. And I hope that they make you happy too. And this particular story, even though they are in the same country, Sarah Lenz and Stephen Paskey, it's a story that <laughs> makes me smile. The possibility that their online chemistry wouldn't translate to real life was broached, but both sensed that this wouldn't happen. In fact, a week before he left, Miss Lenz said she told a friend, quote, I think I'm going to marry this man. And she did. Just a month ago, April the 3rd of 2021. That is a really lovely story. They got married at the Sea Ranch Chapel in Sea Ranch, California. They went to the chapel and they got married. The Love or Bust Tour, which was something that Stephen Paskey did, literally driving from the East Coast out here to the West Coast. 2,654 miles later, he found love, and then some. And I want to wish everyone who has found love to maintain it. You have to really maintain it, work at it. It is not a picnic. It is not a picnic. There are always, as in life itself, ups and downs. And this story about Sarah Lenz and Stephen Paskey is one of those good news stories. It's in the New York Times, the headline, Finding Love and All Its Quirks, Even If 2,654 Miles Away, written by Alex Wall, April 30th, 2021. Sound of Philadelphia from MSFB featuring the three degrees. The Sound of Philadelphia. Oh my goodness me, I love that tune. From way back in the day. And again, 
MFSB and the Three Degrees. The Three Degrees, by the way, if you don't know, a British group, three, a trio of wonderful singers, wonderful uh, ladies who are from England. And I think, I don't know, are they still together? I don't even know. My goodness, it's been such a long time. They were around in the 60s and 1970s. And um, they did this great song, and I believe it was them, called When Will I See You Again, although that might not be them. I, I could fall into the real risk of embarrassing myself on this podcast, and it certainly would not be the first time, dear listener. <laughs> um, oh, my goodness me. I, I really shouldn't have just... <laughs> Uh, I really should have just uh, blindly uh, gone out there. But I was correct. When will I see you again? Uh, the, the Three Degrees. Uh, I was risking embarrassing myself. That was a really great tune, by the way. Um, when will I see you again? That was one of their big hits. The Three Degrees. Um, anyway, there you go. M-S-F- M-F-S-B. Micro, fragile, sensitive... Brilliant. <laughs> Featuring the three degrees, the sounds of Philadelphia. Thank you very much for listening to this edition on Sunday, May the 2nd of the Politocrat Daily Podcast. I hope you're well and welcome back. I'm going to get into a few quick headlines before getting to the main topic of this particular episode. And by the way, I do want to say it's time for you to head down to the Politocrat Daily Podcast online store at the-politocrat.myshopify.com. There's some really good new merchandise for you to consume, <laughs> to wear with pride, to buy, to buy, to buy, please buy. It's just, I mean, there's some designs I've put up that I have put together that are now available. You just have to go to the homepage at the-politocrat.myshopify.com and you'll find these new t-shirts um, saying that, you know, vaccinated. You can announce that to the world and it's kind of hypocritical of me because I've been sitting here decrying people going on social media and doing all of this and yet I'm selling a t-shirt with this on the front of it saying vaccinated AF. And you know what the AF means. So... Isn't it hypocritical of me? Uh, maybe. But when you wear this T-shirt, you are telling the world, hey, look, hopefully you actually are fully vaccinated, but you are telling the world that. <laughs> so there's also James Baldwin T-shirts, new ones. I think you will really like these. And also, I've got a really great quote from Ella Wheeler Wilcox, the poet and author that you're gonna love. It has everything to do with what I say on this, sh this show, on this podcast, on a, on a frequent basis. The sinning with by silence. To sin by silence when we should protest makes cowards out of men. That is a quote from Ella Wheeler Wilcox. And I have reproduced that quote on t-shirts that you can buy right now. And they're really colorful, beautiful, vibrant t-shirts with a black fist, with a white fist, Whichever fist you like, on your t-shirt, right now. So go to the Politocrat Daily Podcast online store at the-politocrat.myshopify.com. Thank you very much. So, 
the headlines. Less than 2% of India is fully vaccinated. India has a population of almost 1.5 billion people. And less than 2% of India is fully vaccinated. That amounts to 26 million people, which is really a drop in the bucket. Now, 26 million people fully vaccinated in the UK, for example, is a staggering amount. That is close to roughly 40% of the population of the UK. Something like that. If I'm not, you know, 35%, whatever. That may be, I'd say probably roughly 30, 35% of the population. Or so, thereabouts. But in India, that's only barely 2% of the population, if that. And they're running out of vaccine in the country, in India. They're running out. That's a real concern. And as I've said here before, India is one of the countries that we really need to start paying attention to because they're not the only country. There's a many a country on the African continent that's going through some really crises things as well when it comes to the lack of vaccinations. But not only the lack of vaccinations, the crises with civil wars, with human rights violations in Tigray, in Ethiopia, uh, and other places where there are things that we need to be paying more attention to. Right now, India is one of those as well. Uh, it's, I'm really concerned about this. We have a crisis in India now where you've got literally close to 400,000 new cases daily of COVID-19 infection. Oxygen is almost non-existent. It is a struggle to get it. Oxygen supplies are very, very low. Vaccine supplies have run out in many cities in the country. It's an astonishingly rough situation, to say the very least. And what the former colonizing country, the United Kingdom, has to do now is act and stop pussyfooting around and dragging your feet and get people in India the vaccine they need and the oxygen they need. And you have to keep this coming. No time for dithering Boris Johnson, dilly-dally Boris Johnson. The elections in the UK are just four days away now. And it will be interesting to see how those go. And I'll talk about them in more detail as we get closer to May the 6th, this Thursday. I am really concerned about India, and I know that there are a lot of you who are listening who are as well, and these other countries that you're not hearing enough about, Brazil and other countries where things are really difficult with, the infection rate is really through the roof. And so the UK must act and get its butt in gear and get many more canisters of oxygen and much more vaccine over to the country that it once colonized. It's the very, very least that the United Kingdom can do. This is a real concern. Dominic Robb is the foreign secretary. Get your button gear 
and the foreign office, get your button gear and do something. There are people dying in India. Get your ass in gear and get the supplies to the people because people are dying. I mean, Sky News, report after report after report, funeral pyre after funeral pyre after funeral pyre. This is the world we're living in. And I don't think there is a peaceful coexistence between a world where you've got countries where they can't give away the vaccine and countries where people are literally dying because they've got no oxygen and dying because there's no vaccine available at all. Those worlds can't coexist peacefully. Something has to give. And one of the things that has to give and give a lot more is the United Kingdom. The COVAX program has worked to a degree, but it hasn't done everything that it should have done. And it hasn't got close to what it should be getting to. And that was predictable. So COVAX, which started well, has not reached near close to a lot of the targets that it had hoped to. There needs to be more done to help people in countries that have been colonized and ravaged by the United States and the United Kingdom. The United States also has a big responsibility here. President Biden, please, you must do more to help people in India, on the African continent, in Brazil, which is just, again, it's in South America, Brazil. You, you've got to help these people. They need your help. Mr. President, have pity on the working man and woman, the poor, please. And I know you have some level of compassion. Of course you do. But more is needed here in the United States and around the world. And we've got so much vaccine surplus in the United States and in the United Kingdom. And this notion that we don't have a lot of vaccine in California here. Oh, there's shortages, really? When I'm hearing that in some counties, they're closing down their vaccination programs and sites because there's so much vaccine around and nobody's coming to get the vaccine. And that is a function of most people already have been vaccinated and it's a function of some people aren't and don't want to get the vaccine. And it's also a function of you've got a whole lot of vaccine left over. Well, since you are closing down in some parts of this state of California, the vaccination centers, all of that vaccine shouldn't just sit around. Send it to the countries that need it. Do an assessment. And, and you know, I guess you have to consult with the feds. Maybe, maybe not. But do the assessments, California, Governor Newsom, and let's get that vaccine to India, to the African continent, to Brazil, to all these places that need these vaccinations, and to the communities here in the United States, black, brown, native, who really need this vaccine. It's just imperative. So that's one story. Keep your eye on that. What will happen in India 
Uh, and will there be more aid coming to India, to Brazil, and to communities here in the United States, black and brown and native communities who really need this vaccine and need it quickly? Because there's still lots of people in the United States, and right here in California for that matter, whom are not getting this vaccine, not because they don't want to, but because, again, the access has not penetrated these communities. And it's got to. What are you waiting for? Is what I have to say to the government agencies and the governments who have the present and ready ability to dispense of this vaccine and give it to the communities where they are in this country and beyond. Other news, Mike Nearman, N-E-A-R-M-A-N, a Republican Oregon House of Representatives state legislator, was charged with official misconduct in the first degree and criminal trespass in the second degree for his role in facilitating and aiding the attack on Oregon State Capitol Building in Salem, Oregon, on, wait for it, December 21st, 2020. Yes, a full two weeks before the terrorist attack on the U.S. Capitol building in Washington, D.C., on Capitol Hill, there was an attack on the Oregon State Capitol in Salem, Oregon, in the Pacific Northwest. And that happened last year. Did you hear about it? Were you aware of this, dear listener? Well, now it can be told that Mike Nearman, who is a politician in that very, very same Oregon State House in Salem, Oregon, has now been charged with official misconduct in the first degree and criminal trespass in the second degree for opening doors, holding doors open, and allowing violent, racist, right-wing extremist people to just flood into the Capitol building during a legislative session on top of all of this. And so he has been charged. He could get up to a year or just over a year in prison and a measly ass fine of what, 6,000 pounds or excuse me, dollars, pounds now. Here's the story from The Guardian. Republican who let violent protesters into Oregon State Capitol is charged. Subtitle, State Representative Mike Nearman was charged with official misconduct and criminal trespass over December 2020 incident. Now, this is from Saturday, May the 1st. It was a syndicated story in the Associated Press, and it got to The Guardian. And there you go. Prosecutors have leveled two criminal charges against a Republican member of the Oregon House of Representatives who let far-right rioters into the state capitol in December. And he's got to appear in court on May 11th or face arrest. And there was, um, just, goodness me, it's been almost four months now that the State House Speaker in Oregon, Tina Kotek, had called for the resignation of Mike Nearman. She had stripped him of his committee assignments. This is four months ago she did that. And she said, quote, Representative Nieman put every person in the Capitol in serious danger. I mean, 
How is this guy not, again, this goes back to what I said yesterday about that Republican state legislator in Idaho who was accused of raping a 19-year-old intern that he said he was having dinner with and he said was, oh, it was consensual. Oh, it was consensual, was it? I talked about that in yesterday's episode. Please go back if you have not had occasion to listen to what I had to say there yesterday. And it's the episode that's called In Ray Karen Garner. And so in that particular situation with the Republican state legislator from Idaho, 38-year-old, who I think he raped this 19-year-old. And, of course, we're supposed to say allegedly, right? And this guy was not fired by the Republican state legislature. Of course, they they didn't fire him. And it was, he's been in the job, he had been in that job for less than a year. And he had a whole pattern of incidents, very similar, if not the same as this one. And he is allowed to continue in his job until, oh, this is the last straw. So now you wait until a 19-year-old is violently attacked, right? And now you do something. And in fact, they just did censures. They didn't even, they didn't expel him. They recommended expulsion. And then he resigned. So yeah, these folks never just get fired. They resigned. And that's what's, and I think this is what should be happening here. Mike Neerman ain't even doing that. He's digging his heels in. There's surely got to be a way to expel people like this. He's being charged. And by the way, as I remind to remind you, if you didn't listen, or to remind people who did listen, and for those who didn't, in the case in Idaho with the Idaho Republican male, white male, who um, was accused of rape, he hasn't even been charged with rape yet. He's not been charged, but he resigned and he pled the fifth in a public hearing. And in that same public hearing, the rape victim testified or the alleged rape victim, for those of you who are more comfortable saying that, she testified in public, going through that trauma again, 19. And then This piece of garbage, the Republican state legislator who resigned, wrote a letter and mentioned the name of the 19-year-old. And that letter was released publicly. And now the 19-year-old rape survivor is getting death threats and all kinds of other stuff. So it's as if she's being raped all over again. Uh, it's just horrible, you know? So, yeah, you know, so you, you've, you've, you've really hurt this woman viciously twice. One with a, a horrific act that's going to scar her for life. And one with this letter where you name her. And she's now getting all kinds of abuse. And death threats. But this guy, Mike Neerman, he's not even resigning. 6200 dollars fine, oh big whoop. 
class A misdemeanor, the trespass charge of, of unlawfully letting others into the capital is a class C misdemeanor, punishable by a maximum of 30 days in jail and a $1,250 fine. Oh my gosh, that's a lot of money. Oh dear. I think Mike Nearman, should he ever be convicted, he really will learn his lesson with a $1,250 fine that he can just laugh at and just write a check in his sleep about. Oh goodness. For letting people into, violent people into the state capitol, it's a good thing that they had law enforcement people on this occasion, I will praise them, for stopping this violence. And they acted quickly, unlike, of course, the U.S. Capitol Police, some of whom were Trump supporters and some of whom were given the stand-down order. The Republicans uh, are real scumbags, as you can tell. So there's that story. And then, you know, the other um, stories that I think are worth, um, I guess, some kind of attention in the Los Angeles Times today. And this is no surprise. It's a story um, on the front page, and it's written by four um, writers, Laura Morrell, Mohammed Al-Elu, Emily Harris, and Alejandra reyes Velardi. And the title of the headline on the front page of the Los Angeles Times is Racial Inequity Plagued Rollout of PPP Funds. Data analysis finds small businesses in Latino, Black, and Asian areas had greater barriers, fewer loans than those in white communities. Well, I am shocked. Color me shocked. It's a good article to read. I uh, edge, edge, I edge. I recommend that you read it. Um, goodness gracious me, it may even show up in a newsletter that you haven't seen for over a week. But it's going to show up. Racial inequity. I love the way that the headline writer puts it. Racial inequity plagued rollout of PPP funds. No, racism and racists played, plagued the rollout, right? Racist barriers. In other words, is the racists who provide white people all the access to loans denied Latinos, blacks, and Asians those rollouts and those loans of the PPP funds. I know it's a clunkier headline, but it's a more accurate one and a more honest one. Racial inequity. See how the passive language gets woven in there by the headline writer. Racial inequity played rollout. No, it's the racists and the racism and a systemic racist country that did that, that played those rollouts. That's how that went. But this article is a really good one. It's a detailed article telling stories about people who, um, in black, brown, and Asian communities, who totally were locked out and got way less support of the PPP program. And you know about the PPP program from last year where all these billionaire businesses got money and the mom and pop store got jack, got nothing. So that's that, right? And that's pretty much it. I mean, there was also some other stories I wanted to get to. One of them, I wanted to mention at least, um, 
was a payout also in the Los Angeles Times. U.S. abuse payout leaves many bitter. Uh, and there was a, a payout of uh, money for a class action lawsuit against a gynecologist in a student health clinic. Um, and Dr. George Tyndall, a piece of garbage, ended up um, violating a couple of, at least more than a couple of students who were enrolled in these graduate programs at USC. That's the University of Southern California. And, oh boy. So what happened was, is that there was a, listen to this. This is not just a couple of women. Again, two is too many. Um, 17,000. How about that? For the number of women, number of people, number of patients. 17,000 of the patients of George Tyndall. Seventeen thousand. That was the class action settlement of one point one billion dollars in settlements for seventeen thousand people. Which, if you do the math, of around uh, roughly or just under two hundred thousand dollars per person, which is not very much money at all. So this story, U.S. abuse payout leaves many bitter by Matt Hamilton and Harriet Ryan. On the front page of today's Los Angeles Times, it talks about the difference in payments that in the class action suit, people got less money. And in individual suits, some of the uh, survivors, the survivors got a whole lot more money. And so they're just talking about how those two things happened and, and the different stories and the reaction to the disparity in the payouts and I understand it's an important story I think that when you are in a class action lawsuit that is what happens it's not uncommon I'm not trying to pour any cold water on this dear listener but it's not uncommon for that to happen and in individual suits there is a chance because you're the only plaintiff that you're going to if you do win you're going to get more money than say if you join a class action because that money, if you're part of a class action, is going to be split amongst dozens, hundreds, if not thousands or more other persons. And therefore, you're going to get less money. But I think the LA Times, for some reason, felt that it was important to highlight this. And I don't think it's a bad story. I think it's a good story just to see what happened here. But also, of course, the, the horrific abuse and there's this you know, idea in the story that you know, there are people who are upset that this is all they got. And I think that's the thing that comes out for me is the so little money and that for USC as an institution and the trustees and all the finance and all that, right? All the money, money, money. It's a cost-benefit analysis for USC to take a chance. What's it worth to us to have an abuser like Dr. Tyndall, which is, goodness, the abuse is the mildest thing about him, a, a flat-out rapist in my view. What, what's the opportunity cost for a, an institution like USC that's got billions of dollars that gets money from trustees or gets money from donors and all kinds of corporations and people on boards 
versus, you know, what's the chances of them going with a class action and paying out only a billion dollars or so or a million, 1.2 million or whatever the heck it is. 1.1 million, right? 1.1 billion they paid out. And that's what they do. That's what all these companies do. They do this cost-benefit analysis, especially in tort cases or in criminal cases. Tort cases are civil cases where there's a civil wrong being done. You trip over a banana peel inside a store, right? Inside a grocery store. And you sue for negligence um, on part of the store because they didn't clean up the mess. And number one, and number two, there wasn't any signs or warning signs saying, here's a banana peel, beware. There was nothing like that. And so... That's a civil wrong. That's a tort. Whereas in a criminal case like this, you know, obviously there was something criminal done and this is a civil suit for that. And so that class action suit meant that if you've got 17,000 plaintiffs, these are all people who are saying they were abused by Dr. George Tyndall at USC. USC then does this cost benefit analysis and they scratch their heads. And they say, what's it cost and what's it worth to us? Should we fight this out in court or should we just pay these people off? And they've made the assessment that they can hemorrhage 1.1 billion. It ain't very much money for us. We'll split that amongst these 17,000 people that Dr. George Tyndall sexually assaulted. And we can just wash our hands of it. And we may not even have to admit any wrongdoing, you know? Oh, we're just paying you out money. Not for any reason. We didn't do anything. It's so often this happens. We didn't do anything. We didn't do anything wrong. We're just paying you money. Enjoy your money, but we didn't do anything wrong. That happens all the time in this country. Then there's a case in this article, Lucy Chi, a 2014 graduate, expected to reach a settlement by herself of 1.2 million. There you go. 1.2 million for one person and 200,000 for someone else. And for these 17,000 people who are getting roughly that, 2,000 or whatever it is, it may be $200,000, it may be a lot less than that. My math ain't great, which is why I'm not a mathematician. You know, there's, there you go. So that's the story in the Los Angeles Times. When I come back, the CDC. find another love like mine that's a great that's a classic isn't that ah Lou Rawls man I tell you um oh my goodness me such a great tune isn't it come on now you you know that's a great tune Lou Rawls and uh I remember he did telephones I think at one point I'm not quite sure I think so I know Jerry Lewis did a load of them. Um, and 
you know, Lou Rawls was something. He passed away um, a number of years ago now, but um, what a great person. What a good song song person. He was a great, I thought he was great. Yeah, I can't even talk now because I just, I think I'm in awe of Lou Rawls. And that's one of the great songs of Mr. Lou Rawls. You'll never find another love like mine. So here I return. And one other thing, for those of you living in California, for just FYI purposes, if you are someone who uses covered California, you will really be beaming because I came across an ad yesterday from covered California that said that people who are enrolled in covered California could literally be getting only paying $1 a month for healthcare insurance in this state of California. That's unbelievable. And that's because there was $3 billion made available in federal funds to California for healthcare. So President Biden has given a very uh, thank you very much present to California. So for those of you in California who listen to this, who are enrolled in Covered California, which is the Obamacare program, I believe, out here. I think that's the one that they do out here. You could be paying as little as a dollar a month in your premiums. The ad was saying things like, and, and D is paying $1 a month, and this family of four over here is paying $100 a month combined. I think that's just remarkable. And I know there's lots of things with the healthcare system that are broken or not broken, but are broken for the people who need the healthcare, but not for the corporations. It's going just swimmingly for them. And even in that, and amidst all of that, this is a, an opportunity for those of you in California. If you don't have health care, sign up with healthcare.gov. You've got until April, excuse me, August the 15th to do that. So please do it. I said September. It's actually August the 15th to sign up. So please do it. And for those of you, again, in California, you can do this through um, Covered California, which I believe is coveredca.com. C-O-V-E-R-E-D-C-A dot com. Go and sign up with those folks. If you don't have health care and you're in California, you could literally be paying only $1 a month for premium. Now, of course, you've got to look at the plans. You've got to look at um, deductibles and things like that. But from what I'm reading about, from stories that I've been reading from people about this and what I'm hearing the deductibles are not extraordinary. And my goodness, for those of you who do not have health care in California, take advantage of this. Because God forbid, if there's a Republican administration that comes along, they will absolutely roll this back. Right? Maybe not in California, because the federal funds would get rolled back if there's a Republican administration. But the in California, they would still, I'm sure, find a way to try to do something with this. But again, Gavin Newsom's facing a recall election this November, before next year's election. So he's got two elections to deal with. It's a waste of taxpayer money. 
But again, this is why we've got to beat back these stupid Republican recalls attempts. Because as much as I may have issues with some of what Gavin Newsom, the Democratic governor, has done in this state, he's done some decent things too. And I'm not going to let three or four things I don't like about what he's done or like about his gubernatorial leadership spoil the other, you know, 15 things that he's done that have been good. I'm not going to do that, even in the midst of a pandemic. I mean, I, I think I'm a bit sensible that I have a little bit of sense. And I have sense enough to know that this is a paragraph by Republicans. And I have sense enough to know that if I come across a television ad that says that people in California, if they're enrolled in covered California, could pay as little as a dollar a month for their health care premium, then blimey, you got to go sign up. On the heels of all of that is the CDC. And I have to say the CDC is a lot better now than it was over the last four years. Its reputation had been thrown into the dust by the criminal administration. They're not just an illegal administration. They're criminal. And they need to be punished. We know they're going to get away, like every administration does. Gets away with crimes. And all kinds of crimes. War crimes, impeachment crime, all kinds of things to get away with, right? Every administration pretty much does. And the CDC was an absolute disaster over the last four years. The CDC now is better. It's got responsible people running it. It's got people who care about the science and not about politics and putting individuals ahead of a group of people in the country, i.e. you and I and all of us. And those of you who are listening abroad know that you don't have a health care system like the one we have here because ours is god-awful which is why I took great pains to talk about that story. And excuse me for regionalizing and pointing to California, a state with 40 million people in it, four zero million. That's almost, well, that's over 50% of the population of the United Kingdom. So, you know, it's a big place, California. But I know it's still very regional because where you are in the world is probably vastly different. And I know that the people only listening to me are not only from California. There are people all over the world who do. And I thank you all for doing that. Whenever you listen to this podcast, thank you very much indeed. It, I want you to know that I really do value, truly, sincerely value and respect your time and your listenership and listening to what I have to say uh, at this podcast. Thank you also uh, for purchasing items at the Politocrat Daily Podcast online store. Please continue to do so at the-politocrat.myshopify.com. But the CDC has been better. Dr. Rochelle Walensky is the head of the CDC. Dr. Anthony Fauci, still in his position, as N-S-A-I-A-H, N-I-A-D, whatever that acronym is, that he's been in, a, in there for so long, um, doing fine work. And I like the CDC and what they're doing lately. What I didn't like was this messaging that I think is a real problem. 
telling people as recently as uh, Friday or Thursday of this past week that people can no longer wear masks if they're fully vaccinated, except for when they're in large crowds. And I really have a problem with the messaging because people are not going to hear for the part that says, except for when they're in large crowds. They're going to hear, take your mask off now. You're fully vaccinated. Take your mask off. And I think that's a real problem to, for the CDC to do this. I think the CDC should wait. The reason I say that is because there's so many variants that are flying around. So many variants flying around this country. There's the UK variant. That's flying around the United States, here in California in particular. There's the Brazil variant. That's flying around here in California. Michigan has variants running amok through it. And Michigan has been calling President Biden for help. I told you about Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Remember when these white, racist, right-wing people had a kidnapping plot to kidnap the governor of Michigan and to kill her? Remember all of that? Just last October. It's barely six months ago now. Barely six months ago. How the time travels. It's about, what, six, seven months, if I do my math, seven, seven months ago now, almost. And so Governor Whitmer has been calling on President Biden, who apparently had her shortlisted as a VP candidate, to help the state with more vaccination, more protections. And the CDC and Rochelle Walensky, the doctor, Dr. Walensky, who just about a month ago expressed so much concern about rebounds and high rates because of the situation with masks and these variants is now striking a completely different tune. And I'm not condemning the completely different tune because facts change on the ground. I understand that, as do you, dear listener. But what I am really concerned about is this rashness, this hurry to tell people to take off their masks I mean, I get this vision. It's like telling people to take off their bras. You're free now. And it's like, no, you're not free. You're not free. This, this virus is still ripping up through the country. It's not like India. It's not 363, 383, 393,000 cases a day. However... There are parts of this country that are still at very high risk or high risk. And guess what? San Francisco County is one of those counties in the country that is still at high risk. And this is where I fault Governor, Governor. here I go again, here is where I fault Governor Newsom, Gavin Newsom for wanting to open everything up next month. Oh, everything next month. We're opening everything up. No mass restrictions. And I'm really concerned about that. And again, it's about profit and it's about profit and it's about what James Baldwin said. The people who say they care about the world don't really care about it. What they care about is their safety and their profits. 
And that is what applies here in this scenario. Because you've got a governor rushing to open up things to appease his donor base of corporations. And there was a report in the Los Angeles Times recently that revealed that a lot of the contributions for Governor Newsom in this state of California were from these big business leaders. And that was obviously consonant with him trying to rush things open. This is not the only politician is Governor Newsom, the only politician to do to get the big contributions. All these governors do, and and a lot of these politicians do. You can just go on opensecrets.org and look at all and search names of any politician in the United States and look at who they're getting contributions from. But I fault the CDC for giving out this message because I don't think it's really a smart message because you know how we are in the United States. We are just waiting for an excuse to take off our masks. People don't even wait for the excuse as I have ranted and raved about for months here, particularly here in San Francisco, in this part of San Francisco. They don't wait for an excuse. They just do it, right? They're like Nike. They just walk around with no mask on. And I just think that even with people being fully vaccinated, as some are, and in San Francisco, um, the vaccination, I think, is around th- fully vaccination rate, fully vaccinated rate is around 37, 38, 39%. And so that is not even half of the city of San Francisco, population 910,000 roughly. Less than a million people in the city of San Francisco, city and county of San Francisco. And I don't understand it. I just don't understand it. And if that's just the city and county of San Francisco, and according to the New York Times, the risk here is high, and they use the data from San Francisco's own Department of Health and from California to ascertain this. There's a section of the New York Times. You can plug in your county. If you're in the United States, you can type in the county you live in if you know what that is. And it will tell you whether your county is at high risk for COVID-19. And they will give you the percentage of people vaccinated in your county, the percentage of people who have a first dose, who've been fully vaccinated, everything. The rates of death, the rates of infection on a daily or bi-weekly basis. It's really a good thing. Uh, It's a great tool. Again, I can't believe I'm talking about the New York Times this much. But I am. (laughs) And um, it's a really good tool to type in so you can find out what your county's doing. Or you can go to your local county. But I like the way that the New York Times had arranged and organized this out. And it's very simple to use. It might be simpler than consulting your county, but you should do that too. And then the CDC puts out this messaging over, you know, Thursday or Friday of last week saying, oh, you know, no, you can wear, you can take a mask off now. If you're fully vaccinated, you can do your activities without your mask on, provided that you're not in a crowd of people, in a crowd of lots of people. And I'm saying, why would you even say any of this? Provided that you're not in a crowd, all that people are going to hear is you can take your masks off now. And I think that's where the CDC really effed up. And I'm not happy about it. I was very, very unhappy with this. Very uh, angry about this, actually. 
because what the CDC has done with this kind of messaging is provide further reason for people not to wear their masks. And you know how we are as human beings. We're not going to even make too much of a stipulation between, or or we're not going to make too much of a distinction at all between places where there are hardly any people and places where there are people or crowds. We're just going to have the mask off and we're not going to put it back on. At least many of us are not. Some of us will, but many of us won't. And so that's what I worry about. That's a real concern. You can't have a push down of this vaccine, uh, excuse me, of this virus, when you are telling people in the country, in a big ass country like this one, population 331 million people, that's thanks to the newly released U.S. census figures, to not wear a mask unless you are in places where there are lots of people and you're fully vaccinated. First of all, we've got so many situations now, according to the New York Times and others, where people are not getting their second shots. So therefore, they're not fully vaccinated. Therefore, they're not completely immune. Therefore, they are out there potentially with this virus. And so they are not fully or properly vaccinated. If you've got one shot, and that is not a shot named Johnson & Johnson, You are not fully vaccinated. You need two shots. Johnson & Johnson is one shot. Moderna is two. Pfizer is two. And you need both shots. And there's something like 8% of the people who are vaccinated who only do one shot. And in the midst of all of this, the CDC is telling people, if you're fully vaccinated, Wear no mask at all unless, unless, here's the qualifier, unless you're in a crowd of people or there's lots of people around. People are not going to differentiate. Sooner or later, they're going to be lax. Human nature says it. You slip, you give them an inch, they take a mile and a half. And like the Kentucky Derby yesterday, won by Medina Spirit or whatever that horse was called. Bob Baffert, the trainer, who is really despised because I don't know if he's a good person or not, by the way. Bob Baffert, um, but he's a billionaire trainer of horses. And he wins the Kentucky Derby, you know, every basically every year. He won last year's during the pandemic and he won this year's. And he's won it a record seven times. And he's won a whole load of other uh, parts of the racing crown. He's won the triple crown at least once. And so people are jealous of him. I don't know if he's a a piece of work to deal with. He might well be. He may be arrogant. He may be mean. I don't know what he's like personally. I've not seen him uh, personally. I've not worked with him. I, I don't know him, right? I only know of what we're being told in the media and what other trainers say about him and other people say about him, which is, you know, positive and negative, of course, like everything. But, you know, anyway, I mentioned... Medina Spirit or whatever the horse's name was because it won yesterday and I didn't see a whole lot of masks at the Kentucky Derby either yesterday and I assume a lot of the people were fully vaccinated but still what people don't understand is that you can still people who are fully vaccinated can still transfer this virus 
I'll say that once more for the people in the back. People who are fully vaccinated can still transmit this COVID-19 virus. There are asymptomatic people. Asymptomatic people are people who have the virus but do not show any symptoms. And there is a window of time in which they can pass this virus on. They can transmit this virus to people. So if you are not vaccinated and you are not wearing a mask, or if you are wearing a mask, and people who are fully vaccinated are walking around here with no mask on, there is a chance that although they're fully vaccinated, they may still have asymptomatic virus. They still may have the virus because understand, this vaccine is not a cure for COVID-19. This vaccine that you're getting, that millions of people have got around the world, or at least in some countries around the world, is all about preventing death from this virus and preventing violent illness from the virus. It's not a cure. It doesn't mean that you've got no virus. It means that if you do get the virus, you won't be violently ill from it. You won't die from it. Your symptoms will be such that it won't be vigorous and yucky and you won't be in ICU for two weeks or a month. That's what this virus vaccine is about, folks. It is not a cure. And I don't think that the messaging has been sufficiently good enough from the CDC or any of these governments, state or federal. Certainly not the last administration, the criminal administration. And I don't know that this administration so far is doing nearly enough, even with the thrice weekly COVID-19 briefings. To make it clear to people, I would really like to see pamphlets through everybody's mailbox. But that ain't happening because people aren't spending that money. And they should be in the state, in the city, locally. And put a pamphlet in to educate people about what to do after being fully vaccinated about the importance of continuing to wear a mask. It is so important that you don't remove your mask. It is really important that whether you're vaccinated or whether you're not, that you put on a mask when you are outdoors and don't wait until you're outside your house or outside of a structure to then put it on. Put on that mask indoors so that when you walk out of whichever building you're in, you have it on already. There's so many people I see, they are walking the street without a mask on, you're walking with a mask on and then they suddenly stick their hand over their face or stick a piece of cloth over their nose and mouth. No, that's not good enough. We have got to be better. You want to talk about being a better person? Be a better person by wearing a mask. I don't care whether people are vaccinated, whether they're not. 
You've got, well, I do care that people are, I would want people to be vaccinated. But I'm saying, you've got to put on a mask. And the CDC really torpedoed that last week or late last week when they put out this absurd messaging that's A, going to confuse some people and B, going to give a whole lot of other people license to just take their mask off and fling it away. Like women did in the 60s when they flung their bras, right? And said, to hell with this. Or in the 70s. Freedom! I mean, yeah, fine, that's, that worked. Well, that was great in the 60s and 70s, but in the 2020s, taking off a mask now, when you've still got all these variants flying around, and that when this vaccine is not a cure, I mean, that's the thing that people don't seem to understand. This vaccine is not a cure for COVID-19. It, again, is all about preventing you from dying should you come down with the virus. Preventing you from being violently ill should you come down with the virus. That's what this vaccine is for. It's not a cure for COVID-19. There's still ongoing research and development to find one. This virus, like HIV, has no cure. And HIV hasn't had a cure forever. And they're still trying to find one. They're still trying to find a cure for cancer. And this virus is no different. There is still an effort, a year plus later, to try to find a cure for the COVID-19 virus. And in the meantime, these vaccinations are designed to stop the spread of the virus and to stop you from getting violently ill and dying if you should contract it. And it does, again, because you may be asymptomatic is what I'm saying. And the fact that you get this vaccine does not, this is facts, the fact that you get this vaccination does not stop you from transmitting the virus to someone else. It doesn't prevent you from transmitting the virus to someone else. So this is why it's so important to continue to wear a mask. And that's why I'm so boggled. My mind boggles at the CDC for telling people, well, if you're fully vaccinated, you can resume activity. I really need to get in touch with the CDC, someone at the CDC, and talk to them. And do it here for this podcast. Because I'm really worried about the messaging. It's very, very poor. And I think that we need to have messaging that gives everyone clarity. And I think the best message from the CDC should have been to say nothing last week about this. And then, after making assessments, in another month or so, do so. Then say something. Because you know what's going to happen? We are, what, three and a half weeks away from Memorial Day here in the United States? What could possibly go wrong, dear listener? Memorial Day on the horizon? CDC tells you, oh, if you're fully vaccinated, you can fling off your mask. Coupled with the people who aren't going to get vaccinated in the first place, 
coupled with the people who aren't wearing masks in the first place. Oh, but only if there aren't people around. Well, for the vast majority of us, when we had been living our lives prior to this pandemic, we were mingling among people. We were going to grocery stores with people in them. We were going to restaurants with people in them. So the idea that people now are going to suddenly keep their masks on thanks to the CDC because there's more people around. People can't wait to get back to whatever they think normal, quote unquote, normal is. And when you have an organization like the CDC that is well respected around the world, that has all this power and guidance, give out this kind of information knowing that you've got variants still running amok in the United States, knowing that lots of people around the world still aren't vaccinated, knowing with the problems you've got in India, knowing, and the problems you've got in Brazil, knowing, on the African continent, knowing that in the US there's still lots of black, brown, and Latino, and Asian people, black, brown, and Asian people, who and native people, who haven't been vaccinated yet, knowing that all of this is going on and people aren't getting vaccinated because they don't believe in it or because they need to see more or because the government has done experiments on them for decades and centuries. What could possibly go wrong for Memorial Day weekend? The gatherings will increase. The weather will get warmer. And people are going to shed their masks and they're going to lie and say, oh, I'm fully vaccinated. But then there needs to be requirements. People talk about vaccine passports. I don't know how efficacious they are. I don't know. I think it opens up the door to all kinds of trouble and dangers and discrimination. And show me your papers. I think that's what we get to with vaccine passports. And I don't like them. I'm not necessarily a fan of that. I know I'm not a fan of show me your papers. I think not, especially with what we've seen in this pandemic so far. And Memorial Day is coming here in the U.S., and it's going to be here in three, three and a half weeks. And you've got the CDC at the end of last month, near the end of last month, talking about, oh, yeah, yeah, well, if you're fully vaccinated. And people are walking around here with no mask on. Still, and the excuse can't be, well, I'm fully vaccinated now. I can do what I want. You need to be putting that mask on. You need to have that mask on all the time when you're out. You need to have, I'd say two masks, but wear one is better than nothing. But people have opted for nothing because they want life to be what they call easy, the easy life, where they don't have to do anything to be responsible for their life. Don't want to wear a mask. Don't want to cover their mouth when they cough. Don't want to wash their hands. They're the most unhygienic people on the planet. Living in such lovely neighborhoods. Shaking your hand and then you realize, oh, bloody hell. Why the hell, why do you think I wear gloves? I wear gloves everywhere I go. I've been doing that for a year now. I've been wearing gloves every friggin' day. For a whole blooming year. And I know, well, they say that the virus doesn't get, uh, is not on door handles. That's not the point for me now. The point for me now is that, and I wash my hands all the blooming time. When I'm outside, 
with people who aren't masking, who aren't getting vaccinated, who don't wash their blooming hands when they go to the bloody bathroom. I'm going to wear gloves because if they shake my hand, I've at least got gloves on that I can dispose of and then really scrub my bloody, my blooming hands. There's so much germs and bacteria around and they're all, all they around you, they're in you, they're on you. That's not being paranoid. It's a fact. There's millions of bacteria on us every second of every day. But hell, I'm not going to get myself sick with some dirty ass person who doesn't believe in washing or bathing or wiping their blooming ass or washing their bloody hands. You go to the bathroom, flush the chain and then walk out of there. You've seen them in the public bathrooms. Oh my God, public bathrooms. To the extent that you even dare to venture and venture into those blooming incubators of virus and, vac- and, and blooming bacteria. Why would you even want to go to a public bathroom? But sometimes you've got to go, got to go, got to go right now. And you've got no choice. And you see the conditions of those blooming things. Oh God. And you see people walk in and out of there. They don't wash their blooming hands. I hope that you're not one of those people. But my goodness me. And they walk out of there. They don't even flush the chain sometimes. Walk in, do what they do and walk out. How dirty and disgusting. Not potty trained, not trained at all. Not that I go look after they've gone in and gone out. But I'm just saying, you can tell they haven't been, they don't give a rats. And then they've got kids. Good heavens. So yeah, I'm going to be wearing gloves for a little while longer. (laughs) And maybe you should too after that. But I really do want the CDC to be sharper and better because they are. But this piece of messaging last week was not. And I just do get concerned now about Memorial Day. Are we going to have a spike again with all these variants, with people flinging their masks? Like some women were flinging their bras off in the 60s and 70s. I mean, is, it, is that what we're going to see? Are we going to see that? We need to really be responsible and the messaging also has to be responsible. It's something that I remain concerned about. And I will continue to talk about this and hopefully in the next little while speak to someone about this and maybe invite back. I'm sure I will get to talk to her again. The one, the only Dr. Cindy Duke and have some have a QA and a with her about this. Because I am really concerned about this messaging. And I'd love to get her perspective on it. Because I don't think it's the right kind of messaging. And I think that we are about due to have another conversation here. Now that vaccinations are beginning to happen. We have less than 40% of the country fully vaccinated. It's probably roughly 25 to 35% total as a country. If that, right? It's maybe about 25% or so, if that, fully vaccinated. And now we're telling people in the United States to take off your mask if you're fully vaccinated, except for when you're around large crowds. Well, why don't you just tell people, remain, keep your mask on, even when you're fully vaccinated? You should be telling them that. Because when you start to introduce qualifiers and if, ands, buts, or unlesses, that's when people just 
arbitrarily move the line wherever the heck they want to do what they wanted to do in the first place. And that's the danger. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. Dear listener, dear listener, dear listener, you have to go right now. Please, I want you to go to the Politocrat Daily Podcast online store because there's so much there waiting for you. So much. T-shirts, hats. I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg. And then you've got hoodies and pens and mugs. Oh my goodness me, it just never ends. I mean, you can get lost in there. You really can. So much more. Drinkware. Socks. That's right, socks. I mean, if you want to get fitted and kitted, this is the place to be. The Politocrat Daily Podcast online store. Shop there right now at the-politocrat.myshopify.com That's the-politocrat.myshopify.com Thank you for your support.